Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the length, the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. Prost is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about Prost, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. The Penile Rehabilitation Program was created by Melissa at Restorative Sexual Health. This is an online program to assist turning software into hardware without leaving your home. This program was designed for people who live in areas where access to health professionals in this area is not available, or for those who are just too busy to attend consults, or even for those who just feel more comfortable learning at home with online learning and consultations online. For more information about this program, please go to www.rshealth.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so Prost to you. November 11, 11 a.m., 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall, in the pub, in the tab, in the cars, we remember... Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today we have two special guests. We have Judith Thompson, who is a very experienced pelvic health physio, and we also have Kate Turnerhan, who is a nurse practitioner and her specialty is in pain. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> so... What we wanted to talk about today is that we see so many guys in our practice that will, and their partner will come along with them, their female partner, and say, oh, well, it's all great if we can fix the erection problem, but what about my problem? I've got vaginal pain for some reason. Um, and then we, we also see women, and um, we wanted to talk to you about women and men today and pelvic pain. So you've been working in this area for a long time. What, what do you see? So, yes, I've been working in the area 30 years mm -hmm. and um, uh, I initially was, you know, mainly went into the area because uh, helping people with continence problems and then I found uh, a lot of people also had pain with intercourse, um, pelvic pain. So we see um, right from young women first um, trying to have intercourse and maybe having some tightness of the pelvic floor or they might have had some recurrent thrush which has set off some sensitivity and having difficulty actually achieving penetrative intercourse right at that young age. Or it may be after having a baby and having had an episiotomy um, and getting back to intercourse, that may be another um, sort of life uh, stage. And then often we see people as they go into menopause uh, with the changes in the tissues, the change in the oestrogen levels, um, actually finding that sex used to be okay but now isn't. And there's often starts as a dryness um, and then can become much more of a muscle problem because the pain creates tension and the tension creates pain and we're in that cycle. So in women, that's more with the pain with intercourse, but other conditions such as endometriosis, painful bladder syndrome, uh, interstitial cystitis, um, all those complex pain uh, and irritable bowels, often um, people present with more than one pain condition. They're trying to deal with several pain conditions in the pelvis and then we have to take a broader approach um, to actually looking at what's going on. Mm. And so do, where do you get most of your referrals from? Self-refer or from... So we have a variety because we, um, again, a lot of the specialists um, uh, know that uh, the Pelvic Health Clinic does 
deal specifically in that. And I think people often feel very embarrassed coming along to get help. They don't realise other women have these problems um, and men. We'll talk about the men in a minute. Um, uh, and, uh, but again, some people have heard through a friend who've had help. Some people have Googled and managed to um, uh, um, get help that way. So, Judith, what kind of treatments do you use? Is it ultrasound or muscle training, all of the above? I mean, obviously, how long's a piece of string, but um, your main treatment? Again, with any of the pain conditions, we always start because uh, there are so many factors that feed into a pain mm. condition. So we always start by screening people, first of all, for um, uh, the sensitive nervous system and for uh, psychological thing, factors that have been shown to be important in pain. So stress, anxiety, depression, pain, thoughts and feelings, um, all are really important. So if we pre-screen everyone so that we start in that bigger picture view. And some people it will be very much a tissue-based problem. They... Um, didn't have pain they've had thrush and now they've got pain and other people will be the more complex condition where they've got endometriosis irritable bowel painful bladder a pain with intercourse and we have to take a much bigger picture view so whenever um, we're doing our treatments we're basically going through a bit of a, a triage of um, is this person highly uh, sensitized so their nervous system is, is quite upregulated. Then if we go and try and do manual therapy, sometimes we can make that person worse. Mm -hmm. And some people have gone to physios and actually, oh, that was so painful, I'm never going back again. I was wondering, do you ever have to bring in a psychologist slash pain specialist as well because you may be opening Pandora's box as such. Yeah, so... <laughs> Literally. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's... We're very mindful that the pelvis is a, a place where um, often people feel quite fearful. They may have had past traumas. Uh, they may um, just be very afraid. So yeah. fear is one of the biggest factors. If you've had pain with intercourse before it can make you very fearful to go there again. So um, I've found that since we've started by screening and looking at those things first, then we can see if somebody um, has a lot of those other factors going on, we would obviously bring in um, either the pain specialist, psychologist, um, but we might need to refer them back to someone for some more estrogen therapy or um, uh, they may need some medication for us to be allowed to even go there to do our physio treatment. So it's a very sort of paced approach. If we take it always, think of the psychosocial first. If those factors are dominant, then we've got to start very slowly and being much more aware of the sensitive nervous system. You can stir people up very easily um, and understanding how that nervous system reflects what's going on is really important. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't think that the general public think of physios as having that holistic approach. Like yeah. I think that most people, I mean, I think a lot of the general public don't even know physios deal with pelvic floor. Exactly. I just think of sporting injuries. Or, yeah, mm. and they're very surprised when they come into the practice. The first thing they will all do is fill out, you know, two or three questionnaires asking us like, oh, there was a lot of questions, but nobody's ever asked that before. Mm. And they often really um, feel quite grateful that somebody's taking that bigger picture approach. Yeah. And with pain particularly, it's really, I mean, that's my passion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, if we look to the pain science, we really have to see how the nervous system um, most pain is our body trying to protect itself. Yeah. So, you, you know, everybody feels pain. If we didn't feel pain, we couldn't exist in the world because you need pain if you're too hot, too cold, you know, the, the plate's too hot, you've got to pull your finger away. And then um, if that pain system becomes upregulated and so that it feels pain even with light touch, then the whole nervous system becomes involved. 
Mm-hmm. And so pain's never in your head. It's always in, it starts in your body, but what your head thinks about it, can it turn the volume up or turn the volume down? And understanding why you have pain is hugely important. And mm-hmm. we were talking just before uh, about how many practitioners, often people have been to multiple doctors mm-hmm. and uh, different people, but they've never understood why have they got pain. No, or they'll always think that there's an injury there. Yes. That's probably a bit to say that there's actually, we can do every MRI and every exam. There might not be something wrong. It's just your brain being tricked into thinking that. And usually that tissue is the trigger. So it could have been a thrush or for the guys, you know, they might have been on a mountain bike and had a a hard um, landing on a, a bike seat or they might have lifted a really heavy tree at, at um uh at 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 work or something that so there's usually an initial tissue thing if after three months we would expect the tissue part to have healed but if the muscle part comes in to protect that tissue so if you've got a sore back or a sore pelvis or sore testicles then your muscles tend to tense up to protect that area and then the doctor's looking and saying, well, all the tests are coming back normal, the MRI's normal, the scan's normal. And so people start doubting themselves. Is this in my head? You know, why, why am I still feeling this? But if you understand the nervous system is, is protecting that area, then we've got an avenue to start. And so we can start by understanding, yes, your, your, your tissues have healed, but the nervous system is still playing the same tune. You're playing that pain tune in your head. And um, again, so that's where bringing a psychologist in or actually working at thought-based therapies at the same time is we're changing the physical structures. So we need to often do some manual therapy, some massage, some breathing exercises, some pelvic floor exercises, focusing on getting good blood flow to the tissues But at the same time, what happens when you walk into a room and you've got pain with sitting and you see a chair, you're already in pain before you've even sat down. Mm. So just your thoughts can actually help uh, actually um, sensitise your body like, oh, just the thought of putting on tight pants if you've got a sore vulva is very um, uh, triggering uh, and can and the thought of having sex if last time you had sex you had pain f- for two days afterwards can be very um, fear provoking mm. so it's really the thoughts and feelings around the pain condition can be really helpful to um, actually reprogram the, the mm. brain about pain <laughs> sure and do you find that Kate in your practice like and that's that that the the brain is such a big issue. Yeah, and and I think that's probably is the hardest bit is that it'll be a trauma or something that will set the pain off, and then the brain just goes into overstimulate. It mm-hmm. just centrally sensitizes, and then the people then think they're going mad because there is no injury, so they often, you know, and they're dismissed, and they can be called drug addicts or whatever it may be. So often pain is a very difficult condition to fix because people will go there's nothing wrong with you it's all in your head as you said so and there's nothing worse (coughs) than hearing that you you feel Mm. very lonely you don't feel validated you may actually feel quite shamed by Mm. the fact and so often some people might not seek treatment again for two or three years because they've they've been told there's nothing wrong with them and that always pain is always real and it's understanding how, well, how did I get to this place? You know, what, what brought me here? Mm-hmm. And I think that's hearing the stories and listening to when did it start? What are the things that have yeah. happened? How many treatments have you had? What have you tried? So we try to really work through and break down how that may be. And if they haven't had tests and rule out more serious things, the brain can't settle down. Uh, because it keeps thinking something serious is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so it's really great working with specialists, uh, particularly if we talk about the male pelvic pain. Um, It's really important. They've had ruled out that it's not testicular cancer. It's not something that's actually 
you know, seriously wrong in their in their pelvic area, then if all those tests have come back clear, we've got an avenue to start. Well, have we looked at the muscles? Have we looked at the nervous system? What are you, are you, a lot of people are very stiff. They haven't been moving. They've given up exercise. They've stopped doing things because of their pain. And we really have to restart again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And what um, do you find that, Kate, that people are ashamed that they've got pain? Oh, completely. I think so many people haven't heard them for so long. As Judith said, they don't feel validated at all. They feel mm. distressed and embarrassed. Um, and often I still work in GP land a little bit. Um, they are sick of being accused for drug-seeking behaviour. Also, you were saying that you were listening to a lecture recently and they said, how long did you say they said so it takes for people to present? One of the doctors was saying minimum five years um, for their first presentation um, and then I think that was about 60% and then 20 to 30% was over 10 years they'd been having episodes of pain. It's just so tragic, isn't it, to just think that people are just grinning and bearing it. And I suppose with pain you can't see it. Yeah, you, know? you can't see. So it. because you know, I mean, a lot of you can see some pain when it's obviously a cut off hand or, or surgery yeah. or something. But in a lot of this kind of pain that we're talking about, no one can see it, so it's hard. And to, it's so to multifactorial, as Judith said. Yeah. Is they stop exercising, they get depressed, whether it be suicidal or they're on opioids and their um, their quality of life, they can't work because they're on these medications. It does affect actually every part of yeah. their being. And again, the medications were uh, our new thoughts on pain science have really understood how the opioids actually make your body more sensitive and really good for post-op pain or something where uh, we're looking at um, uh, reducing the pain over a short period of time. But if you have to keep taking opioids, it actually gives you a more sensitised nervous system and you often then get widespread pain, pain in your shoulders, pain in your knees. But for somebody to take that away from you is also very frightening because you've been relying on that. And so it takes a lot of patience and usually working with the GP and the pain specialist to come up with alternatives that target more the nervous system rather than uh, a reliance on opioids, which we now have the evidence to show that it makes the pain worse with the longer uh, you're on them. Mm. So it's and that needs a lot of um, thought, as you say, with people feeling very desperate that they can't get their medication mm-hmm. and the person not understanding or not being given other avenues of how to manage their pain. It's interesting. I saw a gentleman last week who was telling me um, he had prostate cancer and I was seeing him for that, but I was asking him about his sex life for the initial consult and he said that his wife had suffered extreme pelvic pain for 20 years um, and she had a particular condition and she'd been on fentanyl patches, which you'll be able to speak to more, Kate, and they've just... um, told her that she can't have them anymore um, and they're an opioid like you were talking about for the people listening that don't know that and she's really traumatized like Mm. she's you know and and the sad thing I think was that she hasn't been given alternatives and weaned it's just stopped so what what do you think about that it's very traumatic so I mean there has been a lot of um opioid overdoses and and the research is that they are coming from prescribed sources so whether it be the hospitals or the gps um but now you can only prescribe within a packet at a time it's very very strict regulations but to get into pain clinics is extremely difficult um and you're looking at some people that have been on these drugs for 30 or 40 years and for some people they do definitely get hypersensitized and they need opioid rotation and they need a lot of other different options but for someone that's on fentanyl for a long period of time it would be a massive withdrawal um and and again, it comes down to her not feeling believed. Yeah. And so in a case like that, someone like yourself who's a pain specialist, nurse practitioner, you would help them change to a different medication and then withdraw that slowly rather than just... Um, de- oh, definitely. But I think with someone like this, you know, and like Judith says too, you need a multidisciplinary 
team. And that's where um, the pain programs at the tertiary hospitals, you can go in for some of them and do four-week intensive courses with physiotherapists, psychologists, pain specialists, nurses. Um, so for the really, really difficult ones, you often need a big multidisciplinary approach. But there is a lot of... Um, yeah, there is a lot of different options out there. Drugs are definitely changing. Technology is definitely changing. Um, and I think we seem to be working together a lot more, which is really lovely. Um, and, yeah, I'd say don't give up. There's there's definitely hope. hope. Yeah, yeah, and it's getting to someone that will listen and understand you and make sense of your pain and give you that. Uh, often I feel I'm more of a health coach uh, working through with people of what, you, you know you know your body best how do, how can we work with you to find the way forward is it more of this or more of that what works for you did you feel good doing that thing you know how can we craft your program to be very um patient centered so that it's it's you you take care you take charge of your health care there's nothing more empowering than being involved in decision making and being part of that decision making with your healthcare practitioner. So you get that control back. Yeah, I think control is a big thing because I think people often feel out of control with their health and then they feel like everybody else is in control of it. And if they can be, you know, given things that they can do themselves, which might be yeah. exercising in a way that it makes them not have as much pain and perhaps if they're really anxious and maybe Kate you could speak to this more but anxious about the fact that they are going to get a lot of pain when they start withdrawing off their medication or starting a physiotherapy program then they could be given something for the anxiety while they transition is is that correct? Oh, absolutely and also I mean it's again you know how long's a piece of string but so a lot of these people don't sleep so yeah. everything is 20 million times worse if you don't sleep. So it, it is, yeah. as Judith said, it's very patient-centred approach. You need to work out what is something that you can alter with them. They then get a sense of control and, and it only might be a small um, bit of relief, but they have actually done the work to get the relief. Yeah. So they feel more in control. And they need to be supported over a, a period of time. And once, if you take that systematic approach of working, is it what do we need to do for the tissues? What do we need to do for the nervous system? What do we need to do for your exercise? You know, so that we're really trying to uh, build out that um, program so that we're taking uh, a multidisciplinary approach then usually getting those small gains and often with someone that's had persistent pain, you know, you're talking about a six to 12-month uh, time frame to change. But I, if I can see someone early and it's great to get early referrals to a physio um, and actually start working earlier, we can cut that cycle uh, short by actually starting people on good stretches, good exercise, good sleep, what they're eating because, again, if your gut's inflamed, that affects your whole nervous system. Mm. So we really need to be thinking much broader. I know I went to um, one of your pelvic physios actually once and um, it was actually a, a gut issue that I had that was affecting everything else and yeah. just her giving me some advice around that solved the other issue that I went there for yeah wasn't actually but I would never have known that if yeah. she hadn't have done this thorough assessment yes. and then said actually I think if we fix this part yeah the other pain will go away and and it did it made a massive difference just because I think and we talk about this a lot on this podcast is that you know we expect so much of our GPs and they have such a short yeah, amount they have of short time, time. And so when you see other health professionals like physiotherapists that specialise in this or pain specialists, NPs and things like that, you end up, they have the time to sit and really delve into this, which you just don't get in a GP clinic. Yeah. It's just not possible. Yeah. And mm. so it's it's working through all those different factors mm. to uh, – and the new pain science has really – understood the importance of not only the neurotransmitters where the opioids were working 
but the glial cells around that wrap around the nerve junctions speed up the messages and the things that affect the glial cells is sleep, exercise, thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> and so if we can they seem they seem such small things. Oh, do some breathing exercises, some stretching, eat well, let's take down the inflammation in your gut. You know, all those things then can actually have a, a neurophysiological effect and start actually, if, if your pain's not as intense, then you can exercise more. Mm. And then if you sleep better, then your mood's better the next day. And it's this snowballing effect of starting on the small things and just building up. Yeah, and I think um, a good example of how effective breath work is, which is, an extreme example, but is in labour. You know, when a woman's in labour, like I'm a midwife, yeah. you talk them through breathing and breathing exercises, you know, breathing well in labour for any woman who's been through it knows that the breathing actually really does help reduce the labour pain. And yeah. that's like an extreme version, isn't it, of, you know, yeah. how breath work can work so well to help with pain. And again, it's that sense of control mm. and especially if you have a bit of an anxiety around or fear around your pain, mm -hmm. then often the breathing is one of the first thing that changes. Yeah. And taking control of our breath, you know, is one of the, the first ways of getting back some control of those sensations. So is that something that the physios that work with you and yourself would teach people? Like if they come yeah, in with pain, you teach them breath work? Yeah. Yeah. So we start with the breathing and and before we'd even so for some people feel quite nervous coming to a pelvic floor physio because they think there might be an intimate body part examination, <laughs> either for men or for women. That can be quite confronting. Luckily, we do have the real-time ultrasound where we can assess the pelvic floor from the outside and so that can reduce some of that anxiety at the beginning. But if you are having pain with intimate relationships and having sex, then, again, we want to understand what that is. So we might do an intimate body part examination, either a vaginal exam or, for men, a rectal exam. And we, before doing that, we would always then... Uh, if people have pain and anxiety, start with breath work. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because if you can take control of your breath, then as you can feel in control and we can stop at any moment, we can do some breathing, we can get back in control and then we can continue the examination. And it doesn't feel so overwhelming if you can be in control. So, yeah, breath work's a very important part. Uh, and we, we were talking before about the sensitive nervous system. And I think before that, that hasn't really been fully understood. Things like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, ten, uh, tempor TMJ, temporomandibular joint dysfunction, all of them have a centrally driving factor to your pain. And so if people have got that sensitive nervous system, breath work is the first place we would go. Yeah, okay. So with um, – Kate, you might might be able to speak about this a bit more, but would you be able to, like, talk to Judith about, like, the common case that we might see, which is someone that has, like, continuing pain from thrush, even though we've fixed the thrush but they still have the pain? Mm, so this is exactly what Judith was, was saying. And, again, it's your tissue factor. So to put it in very much in layman's mm. terms, it's literally – pain is how you protect yourself so even though the thrush or the disease or the tissue sensitivity has gone the memory held and the nervous system still is fired every time this person's triggered or looked at or thought about having sex or anything even though the disease process has gone the painful stimuli will still be sent up into the brain so it's um for again for women this is very embarrassing and you know, it's been treated and they've probably had swabs and been told that it's absolutely fine, don't carry on about it, just get going. Um, or you'll often hear women say that they've just been told they just need to use more lube. That's not going to help no. the actual nervous response, which is being sent up to the brain going, fight and flight, there's a dinosaur coming, run away. Um, and that is is easily triggered until you start to actually desensitise them and for their brain and their spinal cord to know that they're not going to be injured 
um, and giving them tools to do so, whether it be, I mean, breath work would definitely be your first one, but whether they would actually need any um, medication as well, um, you use a lot of tools for their, that bit to not get triggered because there is no disease process there anymore. It's that they are hyperstimulated. And is it true, Judith, that in that situation, so someone's got chronic thrush, they've come to see someone like myself, I've got rid of the thrush and there's a lot of things you can do other than just have, you know, over-the-counter things for thrush, but then they still have the pain. Like I would refer them to a women's health pelvic floor physio um, and my very limited understanding of physiotherapy is that, that they've been holding on and stressed when they've been have, trying to have sex because the thrush has caused the pain and then their pelvic floor gets really tight. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it's a complex mix of things mm. and, yeah, definitely. And they've shown if you have recurrent thrush again, a time and time again, those nerves become more sensitive. But it's also that person before they had the thrush. Some There's a big range of women. Some people have a tighter pelvic floor than others. And so often for the girls that maybe even found tampons were unable to get a tampon in because they've actually got a tighter pelvic floor. And then they have the thrush on top of that. Sometimes you've got the actual tissue tension and the nerve sensitivity and then you've got the fear on top of it and especially if they didn't find it that easy to put in tampons often people are a little bit afraid of anything going there Mm. and so if they are a bit nervous um, then uh, the muscles tense up and that's often when we'd use more of a graded exposure using uh, vaginal dilators or trainers. So to start with a little tiny one and get used to just that that uh, touch and not being a threat. So they're not going to feel worse afterwards. And then we move to a slightly bigger one and a slightly bigger one to actually prepare those tissues because those tissues might be tight. So while you're learning to actually... Uh, relax your pelvic muscles and and be able to accommodate you're also desensitizing the tissues and so those are uh, often we have to work people through too and same with um, ladies in menopause often if if intercourse has become um, painful because they're quite dry um, and then they start on estrogen the tissues become softer and then we can pace back up to getting some stretch back into the tissues in a nice slow way that they feel in control, which is really important. So what is with men, what are are the main sort of triggers for pelvic pain with them? With men, a lot of um, it it may start as a urinary tract infection. Some men may have had uh, symptoms of urinary frequency and voiding issues for a while. And then often there's something that just flips that over into feeling more discomfort. Often, um, I mean, it can be a sexually transmitted um, uh, disease, but often when they come, they've been tested for everything, UTI, sexually transmitted disease, everything, and they feel it's just in their head. Mm -hmm. And often um, it's a combination of some tissue thing at the same time that they're stressed in other parts of their life they may be very busy at work they may have just had a new baby they may um, have a lot of financial worries Um, they're often working long hours sitting in tight positions they've stopped going along to footy because they haven't got the time or you know they're having to help with the new baby so they're actually not stretching and caring for themselves their muscles have got tighter and the the pain condition has increased. As I say, um, landing on a bike saddle, it can be a, a, a trauma that at the time you would have thought just healed up, but all these other factors that were happening around that time have just kept that nervous system a little bit more sensitive. And when you stop exercising, stop stretching, stop sleeping, at work, very long hours, all those things can add up to, again, uh, flaring up everything mm. and the the often people talk about pudental nerve involvement and often the pudental nerve runs through the pelvic floor and um, innervates the penis and the testicles and that whole saddle area and the rectal area 
Um, but when you go back and take a, a, a history, sometimes they've had hemorrhoids or they've had oh, anal fissures mm. or they've had other reasons that their pelvic muscles have been tight. Mm-hmm. They may have irritable bowel. They may have had um, poor flow um, and um, other things that are in their history that, you know, nobody's actually pieced it all together for them. Mm. Um, but then they went on that extra long ride um, uh, with their mates and, um, were, you know, they did a five-hour ride or something and they've had pain ever since. Yeah. And that all that other stuff, that they, they, they just think it's the saddle, they'll change the saddle, they'll do all sorts of things. Yeah. But actually, if you take bigger picture view, what else is happening? Yeah, and I think that's that whole thing of sitting down with someone and going through it and having them ask the questions. Because when you've got a problem yourself, it's easy to be fixated on yeah, what, that what the last bit of water that was in the glass was, not exactly. the rest of the full glass. So, yeah, yeah thinking about that. And I think, I mean, a, a lot of men feel, um, you know, often their pain's triggered by having sex mm-hmm. or it can be worse after sex. And so, you know, um, that can, they can feel quite, um, that that's a difficult thing to talk about. Um, I had a, a great um, guy who um, actually, I think he had a strain at cricket with, um, and, and a fall that had started the pain. But he said, you can't talk to your cricket mates about painful testicles. Mm. You know, it's just not something we chat about. And so he'd been six years without ever telling anyone about it. And so, again, it's very very hard. I think he'd mentioned it to one doctor that checked him and said, no, nothing's wrong. And but... No, no answer either, and he carried on persisting having that pain. And the doctor probably checked his testicles and were like, "Oh, yeah, there's no testicular okay. cancer, nothing yeah, there. It's okay." Exactly, it's all fine. Mm. Um, or otherwise, they'll um, often do scans, and we know this in back pain that you can have an MRI and you can see a disc, um, and you can do an MRI and see a disc in someone with no pain. Mm. But the factors that actually are more likely to make you have pain are those other psychosocial are you stressed are you exercising are you sleeping are you eating well yeah. you know those other things so when you're not and then you've got back pain then they do the MRI and see the disc they're like oh it's the disc causing the problem and they don't ask the, all the questions around it the same thing with testicular um, pain sometimes they'll find a variceal or something like that which again isn't probably causing the problem, but then they go and have surgery on the variceal and it doesn't fix it. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's not always we, – we, we can't just look down at the tissues. We have to lift our head up and look at these other factors. So really in the case of pain, you really do need that multifactorial approach of a pain yeah. specialist yeah. and a physiotherapist team that yeah, does and, it, and, and, sometimes, and sometimes a social worker, sometimes yeah. a psychologist. I mean, one of the lectures I was listening to today was she's a GP that specialises in pelvic pain and she said, I, you know, I can't do everything. I just often say I'll be the conductor and will help find yeah. a multidisciplinary team and they, who will be in the team will be different according to each, you know, how the person's progressing. Yeah. But eventually I say to the patient, you're going to take over the baton, you become the conductor of your treatments yeah. and access the people that she's then got involved in the care. Mm. So it, as Judith said, it that's I think why it's so misunderstood is people don't look different and it's often multiple triggers that will cause yeah. the, the one event that they'll complain about but it's not just the event, it's all the factors prior. And just to also, in the pelvis, we do have um, a past history of sexual assault or not even um, necessarily sexual assault, but just inappropriate touching or something at at a difficult time, which made your body feel more protective of that area. Mm. And then when it gets something later in life, that protection is actually... Uh, upregulated quite mm. strongly because that those muscles have had to protect you before. Mm. And then you've got your culture, cultural yeah. factors and your religious factors and how you yeah. describe the pain. All of that comes into play exactly. as well, which can make it very difficult for people that speak English and we have 
20 terms for pain. Yeah. Yugoslavian people have got one word for pain. Yeah. So there's no burning, there's no itching, there's no pins and needles. Mm. There's one word. And when you get pain in your cot, well, this was a long time ago, is you go to bed mm. and you yeah. stay in bed until it's gone. Yeah. And that's... And that probably would exacerbate a lot of the type of type pelvic of pain, pain we're yeah. talking yeah. about. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And so um, there's a large studies that have gone on in America called the multidisciplinary approach to pelvic pain, the MAP studies. They have a whole website with all their different uh, research that they've... They took people with um, pelvic pain, either urological uh, men with urological pain or women with bladder pain or interstitial cystitis. And they've done multiple studies. They've done brain scans. They've done um, cultures on the urine. They've done the microbiome in the gut. And in each um, study, they found differences in the people with pain to healthy controls. So there are, everybody needs to be believed because there are factors they can show changes in white matter in your brain or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so they can actually show that there are differences in the bacteria in your wee and different things but um uh so it's always um important to that it is actually real but why um has that happened to you and how do we turn that down and they showed that people that had had more adverse childhood events just even living in a uh, a, a busy household with nine children if you're the sensitive kid and you didn't get listened to or heard that your developing nervous system can be more sensitive for life so when something happens later on that can trigger off something or if you live in a household and mum's had some mental health issues or dad's alcoholic or all those things your nervous system is on high alert and so making sense of that that actually this isn't your fault Mm. this is the nervous system that you developed and how do we give you things that make you feel safe Mm. that make you feel listened to, that make you feel heard and not shamed Mm. is very important. So, because you've been involved in quite a lot of research yourself, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I might put a little plug for any man with pelvic pain, we need you. Are you looking for research? (laughs) We are. We we have developed... um, So, uh, in the area of pelvic pain, Mm. we have uh, developed at Curtin over the last four years now it's nearly finished, um, (laughs) is a screening form, a short um, uh, 15-question screening form that we use on every single patient that comes into our clinic. Mm -hmm. But we'd love for it to be rolled out more uh, widely for all physios to use it, not only for pelvic pain, but to actually think bigger um, about um, asking about stress, anxiety, depression, pain, catastrophizing, whether people have had a trauma, whether they do feel confident to have sex, mm-hmm. uh, all these different factors that the the panel of physios, pain specialists and psychologists, we came, we had a Delphi study and came up with these 15 questions. And we've now rolled it out and tried to validate it and we're now asking patients if it makes sense to them. So maybe in your little show notes or Definitely. whatever you do, we could put a link of anyone that wants to so uh, if someone answer our, our question. Women? Men and women. Yeah, we've we've actually we're we've only got a few weeks left of the survey because it's this year's girls that are doing it each year. We have a group of master students at Curtin taking on one part of the project. Great. And so yes, we've had um, a lot of ladies. We have 197 ladies reply, but only 17 men. So okay. we need we need the male voice. <laughs> okay. So any Get of you guys listening that have had pelvic pain do they just they have to have experienced pelvic pain yes so we're looking for people over 18 that have experienced pelvic pain that would be happy to um fill out this form that we've developed and what how does it feel for them what are the does it cover how they feel Mm -hmm. and is it clear to understand is it you know uh able uh, to be filled in in a quick manner and so that we get the patient's point of view because we're very good at clinicians to say oh this will be the best thing for you but actually in any new form we should always ask um, the people that have pain 
does this mean anything for you? <laughs> yeah, great. So I'll put that link in the show notes. Yeah. So anybody listening who would like to be involved and help other people, particularly guys, if you've had pelvic pain and you'd like to fill this form out and be involved in the research study, we'd really appreciate it because then down the track we can help more You're people. helping others, yeah. Mm. And so that's my – my hope is that, that we all take – because we've got the DAS questionnaire that mm. looks at mood. We've got the pain catastrophe that looks at thoughts and things. But it tend, ended up we were giving out six different questionnaires, which is a burden to people. Um, and now we've just got this one page and it's very um, easy to hand out. But now we're looking to see how effective it is if we screen for all those things. Does that help our outcomes if mm. we're alert to that right at the beginning? Great. So hopefully we'll get some people to be involved. <laughs> and I was wondering, could you use it preoperatively if men Absolutely. are having any kind of pelvic surgery? So yeah, pelvis so includes your, your lower, lower back as well. Yeah. But you do wonder whether you identify the people that need to have more aggressive exactly. pain treatment to prevent chronic... So there's also something called the central sensitization inventory, which mm. is um, a way we, we don't have MRIs or anything to look at the nervous system and how sensitive it is. So we use that to we use that to um, uh, screen people beforehand and definitely they've shown, uh, I think it was before um, gynae surgery that if they use this, mm. it actually they can address a lot of things mm. pre-op to make post-op much better. Mm. And we, I mean, as I say, we use it on all our uh, clients at our, our clinic. So we do see a lot of people before um, prostate surgery. So we would always be screening all those things. And to find out if people are really having problems with their mood beforehand means that we can put in supports that, you know, going through a major surgery plus having a, a diagnosis of cancer is a, a a very stressful time for people but some people can manage it quite well and other people really find that much more challenging mm -hmm. and just screening for these things means we can put the right interventions in place sooner. Hmm, I think it sounds like we should get a copy of that and start yeah. <laughs> trial it we'll out be, we'll and see. <laughs> yeah. Well I was um, thinking we could collect it with our patients because yeah. we see most of our prostate cancer patients pre-surgery. Yeah. Um, and it would be great. And also, even with the guys who have radiation, it would be great yeah. to, to pre and figure out how it's going. As I say, so we're desperate. We've had a lot of very positive response all around the world about this short form. So we're um, hoping oh. that if we can get the validation studies completed this year, then it will be a validated, you know, how everything in research has to be validated. checked and validated. Yeah. So uh, that's what we're – it takes a long time in research to get it, but we're already using it and finding it very useful. But also with everything, when you're the patient, you often don't recognise the change until you look back in the yeah. past. You know, like yeah. sometimes things just creep up on you, don't they? And it's yeah. only when you look back and go, oh, I didn't feel that way before, or I did yes. feel that way and I do now. It's not until – you might do that same thing again. I, yeah. I mean, I do DAS scores, which for anyone yes. listening is to do with depression and anxiety. Often I always yes. do them. And I often find that the DAS score is much higher pre-treatment. Yeah. And then when I will do it six months down the track, it's a lot lower. And I go, great. But sometimes it still is elevated. And then I will say, look, we really need to address your anxiety around this because yeah. it hasn't settled now that you're post-treatment and things yeah. are good. So and that so would be great. A, yeah, so that's great to highlight it. And mm. and then we've got treatment avenues for people because once we know what the problem is and pain, there's good evidence in pain in all parts of your body, your back, your knee, your hip, your pelvis, that pain is more intense if your mood is low mm -hmm. and also if your thoughts are anxious, you know, you're always, what's wrong? What, you know, what will this mean for me next week? Will I be able to, you know, um, go to the footy? Will I be able to do this, you know? And so if those anxious thoughts are always happening, that can actually wind up your sensitivity to your pain. Mm. So we, we're understanding the interplay. So nobody... Uh, um, I think the old-fashioned way of thinking your pain was in your head was when we didn't understand it and they didn't, they hadn't come up with an answer. But now we understand uh, a lot more of the pain science. We can understand that 
It's not in your head. It's definitely in your body. But what your head thinks about it can make it feel better. Mm, great. <laughs> so, Kate, do you have anything to add before we say goodbye to Judith? I think it's fantastic. The more tools that we can use to prevent chronic pain from occurring is brilliant because often, as we've said before, they're not being addressed for five, ten years later and then often quite a few of them have given up hope Mm. where if you can start to identify factors or give them some of the tools to deal with pain and then often their journey's much nicer. And from my perspective, you know, I think often I'll see relationship breakdowns and it's not until you get back, sit down and talk to a couple for quite some time that you get back to that it all started with pain with one or both of the people and then they've just drifted apart because neither has wanted to talk about it or it's not something that you can see. And I think if we address these issues earlier, we could probably save everybody a lot of sadness and grief and pain obviously Mm -hmm. so thank you so much judith for talking to us about that today because i think most people don't realize that physiotherapists do specialize in this area and i think that's the other really important thing is that pelvic health physio is a master's qualification and it's uh, a specialized area so you can't just turn up at your physio who deals with your sore knee and your shoulder and ask them to have a look at your pelvis it's a different (laughs) area that's correct isn't it yeah 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 um, so make sure that when you do see a physiotherapist, it's one that, that understands the pelvis and pelvic pain. And, um, yeah, if anybody wants to participate in the research, that will be in the show notes. That would be great. And if anyone would like any males or females would like some help with their pelvic pain, Kate, nurse practitioner, pain specialist, will oh. be starting with us very soon and um, she'll be available for thorough holistic assessments and you can always see Judith or one of her physiotherapists as well. So I hope you've all learnt lots today and you now know that pelvic pain is there and um, you won't just pretend it's not and be ashamed of it and get some help. So thanks very much. Thank you. I'm going to tell you about a boy who lives inside me been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions and so much feedback. And Melissa and I are absolutely thrilled about this. What we'd really love you to do though is to share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download using your favourite podcast app or subscribe to the penisproject.org. You'll get a weekly email and new releases, and this helps our podcast to get more people. And if you write a review and subscribe as well, well, we'll get known more widely across the globe. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Women, just a mystery to me. I've got a boy of my own now. It fills me with pride. See him growing so fast into a man